Hello, and welcome to Investment Week's election special podcast, where we will discuss all the implications of the shock outcome of the UK general election, which resulted in a hung government. I'm your host, Anna Fedorova. I am the news editor of Investment Week. Investment Week has been the premier publication serving professional investors in the UK since 1995. You can find out more about us by visiting www.investmentweek.co.uk. In April, Prime Minister Theresa May announced a snap UK general election, which has dominated the news ever since. At the time, the Tories were set to win the election by a landslide, but things have changed since then. Now that the election is over and the votes have been counted, we are left with perhaps even less clarity as to what awaits Britain in the future, and the markets have been reflecting this uncertainty. We discuss the implications of um, the outcome straight after the results have been announced. in the studio is JP Morgan Asset Management's Stephanie Flanders, Chief Market Strategist for the UK and Europe, to talk about the economic implications of the election outcome. So, Stephanie, firstly, we've seen sterling drop by around 2% in response to the news about hung parliament this morning. So, do you believe there are further falls to come or will we see the currency stabilise? Well, it's interesting because if you look back at where the currency was at the start of the campaign, it's actually a little higher than it was then. Um, And even the FTSE uh, stock market uh, is also a little bit higher than it was then. So if you sort of uh, step back from all of the political excitement uh, that we've had and obviously the surprises in the result, I think for the key fundamentals that matter to investors in the UK, especially given how open and dependent on global demand the UK is and UK companies are, Mm. many of those fundamentals haven't changed, even though we feel that political assumptions have been turned on their head. And of course, a key risk for facing Britain at the moment is you know, what happens with the Brexit negotiations now that we've had this outcome. So um, some are saying this might suggest a softer Brexit. What are your thoughts? Well, uh, I said the fundamentals hadn't changed. Unfortunately, when it comes to Brexit, Mm. the fundamentals were already looking incredibly uncertain (laughs) and not so great. And at at some level, the uncertainty has clearly increased because you don't have a majority, a strong majority uh, conservative government that many were expecting. But I have to say, many in the financial markets have stopped thinking that that was necessarily the best outcome Mm. for them uh, when you take a medium-term view on Brexit, because there was a concern that uh, Theresa May didn't sound like someone who was keen to soften the edges on Brexit. She was still very determined to go ahead with what was quite a hard form of Brexit. Now you have the opposite scenario of um, a government whether led by her or maybe ultimately someone else, who is dependent on the unionists, the actual working majority may not be that different before, but you have to wonder whether it's entirely mm-hmm. um, sustainable. How will that affect Brexit? Well, I think it's probably it's too easy to say this will lead to a softer version of yeah. Brexit. It is true that the unionists... Democratic unionists have wanted uh, a softer Brexit when it comes to the border with Ireland. Mm. But traditionally, they are a Eurosceptic party. Their instincts are very Eurosceptic. They Mm. supported Brexit. So the idea that we're automatically going to have a softer form of Brexit, I think, is slightly wishful thinking, especially when you think of all the people who now have the MPs, uh, quite Eurosceptical Conservative MPs, who also have a bit bit more Mm. leverage uh, when it comes to the government than they might have had before. 
So I suppose we're in for even more uncertainty in the coming months and ahead of the negotiations. Um, in terms of the things that investors should be worried about, I know you've said, you know, not much has changed, but what are the things on the horizon that investors should be mindful of? Well, I think if you look at the economy, the economy has clearly weakened uh, in the last few months. Uh, many people came into, or some optimists came into this year saying, well, the economists were wrong mm-hmm. last year about what they said about the immediate impact of the referendum vote. They're going to carry on being wrong and the economy is going to be fine. I think many uh, were not so um, sanguine about the prospects because you have to remember that the forecast last year, they were definitely wrong, but they were wrong on a specific point, which mm-hmm. was the impact of uncertainty, that this particular form of uncertainty on confidence. As it turns out, this was a different kind of thing and it didn't work that way. But the idea that the pound would fall and push up inflation, well, that still turned out to be yeah. true. The idea that higher inflation would cut into real wages and actually make the consumer feel poorer, well, that is clearly happening. And we're seeing that translate into lower comp- consumer confidence and retail sales. So I think that the key thing to watch in the UK context uh, will be the strength of the UK consumer and whether any softening on that side is offset by exports, because we do have our biggest trading partners now doing quite well, the Eurozone. As long as they are our biggest trading mm-hmm. partners, we may benefit from the upturn in their fortunes. But from a, as you know, the UK equity market is in itself uh, not necessarily a good portrait of what's going on in the UK economy. The majority of revenues... Uh, raised by certainly by by FTSE All Share companies, the big companies that dominate the FTSE All Share are earned overseas. They may be helped by a weaker pound. They will be greatly affected by the global recovery and global commodity prices, almost independent of what happens with mm. Brexit. The World Bank recently upgraded the growth outlook for the UK, um, but obviously all this uncertainty must weigh on on that outlook. Yes, and for every forecast that's going up, there's a few that are going down. This week, we actually had the OECD, the sort of developed economy think tank, came up up with their six monthly uh, forecasts. And the UK was one of few countries who saw the forecast go down. Mm. And it was also uh, striking in that uh, report that the UK is the only country looking ahead to next year, certainly the only major developed economy that's still going to be tightening its budget and taking demand out of the economy at a time when, you know, many governments around the world are actually uh, moving away from austerity and feeling able to be a bit more supportive Mm. with the budget. I think the Bank of England is very conscious that there is no fiscal relief coming for the economy next year. A lot of, for example, benefit changes that are going to take money out of the pockets of of, uh, households. Um, And that's perhaps why they've uh, clearly not signalled any great desire to raise interest rates Mm. anytime soon, even though their own forecasts for the economy are relatively upbeat. You have to wonder whether they really believe them. Yeah. And what's your outlook then? Does the outcome of the election affect it at all? I don't think the outlook for the uh, the election is going to affect uh, directly what the Bank of England does or how it sees its role in the f- in the next few months, nor is it really going to affect the sales of big UK companies, mm. whether it's in China or uh, in the US or, or, or Europe. But it's the if there is a bit more uncertainty around Brexit, then obviously that might... Uh, reaffirm the Bank of England and its feeling that it needs to be erring on the side of caution and keeping plenty of room for uh, supporting the economy if we see continued weakening. I mean, it may be just that the weakening of that we expected to see um, a little sooner was just delayed rather than postponed indefinitely. 
Thank you very much for your insight, Stephanie. Thank you. Now I'm joined by Steve Berexer, Global CIO Equities at Allianz Global Investors. Thank you for joining me, Steve. We're going to talk about political risk and how that's affecting global equity markets in general. Um, so firstly, how have you seen political risk manifest itself in, in global markets and um, which areas do you think it's affecting in particular? Well, the interesting answer is that political risk doesn't seem to be impacting the markets much at all. And I think the lesson that we've learned in the last year is that the, uh, the breaks in the market are of shorter duration and they're smaller. And this, uh, th this seems to be conditioning investors to fill in the next gap even quicker. And so we saw a couple days disruption from Brexit and then uh, a couple... Uh, couple hours disruption with the Italian elections and then the Trump election reversed within uh, futures turned around within 90 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, we've, we've, we're becoming immune to political risk mm -hmm. relative to past periods. And it's very interesting. And are there any sectors of the economy where you have seen this effect last longer or be more profound than in others? The political risk is having a much more meaningful impact on valuations in the healthcare industry and in the financial services industry. And the drivers behind that, of course, are that healthcare mm. in much of the West has taken a bigger and bigger bite out of GDP. And much of the earnings progression that have been made by that sector in the last five years has been based on price increases. And as we know, with uh, mounting pressures on fiscal budgets, uh, healthcare is looking like it might have a bit of a target painted on its back, or at a minimum, it might be dangerous to assume further price increases. In financial services, we have a situation where in some regions, and I'm specifically thinking of the U.S., there seems to be a, a pretty big latent opportunity to deregulate and to potentially unleash uh, some animal spirits and some leverage uh, after 10 years of having really buckled the banks down. And, uh, you know, they've, they've been repressed enough in the U.S. that they've, most of them have doubled their book equity over the last 10 years. And clearly there's probably a, a reasonable opportunity to cut them loose a little bit without creating too much of a mess in five years. But in general, as you said, we, we don't seem to be seeing the reaction from markets that we might expect, or at least it's not as long-lived. As long this complacency, this, this immunity, as you called it, what do you think this is caused by? I think the complacency has its roots in the financial repression that followed the great financial crisis. We have, um, our governments have been uh, working very hard to make risk-free assets very, very unattractive, um, really unsustainable for anybody trying to save money or uh, uh, trying to run a pension. And as a result, this, this relentless herding into risky assets, I think, has contributed to the complacency because uh, the people that go to the sidelines and react to these developments uh, quickly find that they're wrong mm -hmm. because all the other market participants, might, you know, they might pause for an hour, but they're right back in. Mm -hmm. I think that's what's happened. We've been retrained. And when will this all come to an end then? Well, behavioral regimes like this have beginnings and endings, mm. and they are usually finite. And I would presume that one of these geopolitical crises 
will actually turn into something, and that might mm-hmm. set things in a different direction. And I suppose the other thing that could unravel would be um, a change in direction of the financial repression. Mm-hmm. In other words, as some of the governments began unwinding uh, their balance sheets, you'd remove that artificial factor yeah. that helped set this up in the mm-hmm. first place. And I guess we're beginning to see that a little bit of that going on. A little already. bit of that is happening. Mm-hmm. And it's by no m- means a, a panic bell situation. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm more coming at this from uh, the standpoint of, boy, this is kind of weird. Mm-hmm as you you know look at elections Absolutely. that are surprising here and here and there Absolutely. with very little market impact and um, from an investor's point of view are there areas or or specific stocks perhaps which aren't connected to this sort of political game that that you would suggest maybe investors look at well most most stocks of course are highly correlated with markets and therefore part and parcel of, of this whole discussion. Um, I think the, the interesting thing as a stock picker is that with the world changing so much, there are a fair number of stocks where I would expect you would have idiosyncratic returns that will have little to do with how the market behaves. And um, I run a fund that focuses on these and tries to find controversies. Um, when you have a situation like this with individual stocks that are at a crossroads where they might be able to double their business or disrupt another industry or whatnot, um, you have uh, some degree of independence from this uh, this whole uh, beta cycle, if you will. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much for your time, Steve. Always a pleasure. Thank you. That's all we have time for today. We would love to hear your comments and ideas for future podcasts if there are any particular topics you would like us to cover. You can contact me via email at anna.fedorova at incisivemedia.com. Thank you for listening.